There is a, a Dutch scholar uh, with the surname of Bronchers, and he writes the following. He says, the greatest people in God's kingdom sometimes felt dejected. In the history of, of the church, we know that, that Martin, Martin Luther and, and his wife, Katharina, or Katie, as some people uh, call her, uh, also went through difficult times, and Martin Luther very often felt very depressed. Once his wife put on a black dress and closed the shutters of the windows, and Luther asked her, what are you doing? And she answered, God is dead because Martin Luther has no hope. In the Psalms, we very often read about people who felt hopeless. In Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? In one of the darkest Psalms in the Old Testament, Psalm 88, we read, Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? And we know about Jesus crying out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To feel dejected or despondent is not uncommon amongst Christians amongst believers. Elijah is one of those very good examples in the Old Testament of a person who felt this way. But he was actually quite a successful man up to this point. In 1 Kings chapter 17 we read that he spoke one word and a widow's flower and little oil um, were made much more, and it lasted throughout the drought. Later on in the chapter, we read that this same widow's son died, and Elijah prayed to God, and the boy came back to life. And then, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we see that he challenged the Baal prophets, and said, come, show me if you worship the real God. And he prayed, and, and, and when he prayed, things happened. When they prayed, nothing happened. O Lord, God of Abram, Isaac, and Israel, he said, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Then the fire of the Lord fell and, turned and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Then we read, When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God, the Lord, he is God. 
And then we read that Elijah ended the drought of so many years. And listen to the last words of 1 Kings chapter 18. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. He must have felt on the top of the world all these achievements in the name of the Lord. And then, suddenly he felt that the glory days are over. We see how a strong, faithful man becomes weak. In Bangor West, uh, we have people from Bangor West here this morning. They always joke about my Dutch scholars that I, that I uh, um, quote, but because I, I come from that tradition, uh, there's a Dutch scholar called De Rie, and he wrote the following about Elijah. One moment, one second he trusted God with his whole heart. Fire came from heaven. Then came the setback. After he fully lived, the man who stood steadfast in faith, alone against the mighty ruler and his servants and helpers, now lies with his head in the sand of the desert, begging to die. So why does he feel this way? There are two reasons. The first is that he lost his vision on God and believed that humans are in control. We read in chapter 19, verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. It's over, Elijah. Finished. I'm going to kill you. Elijah was very afraid, we read, and he ran for his life and he said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What a disappointment. The words of Jezebel sounded much louder than any knowledge he had about God. The power of Jezebel felt much bigger and stronger than the power of God. Nothing that God did in the past could convince him that God would also be faithful now. Therefore, he resigns. It's finished. I'm sure that you, like me, sometimes lose hope and vision because there are many things that can distort our vision. Sometimes we hear bad news about a family member, Sometimes just about society, teenagers committing suicide, the economy is getting worse, the petrol price goes up. 
Sometimes we are overwhelmed by our own inability, our mistakes, our failures, and what other people think of us. Sometimes our emotional state makes us doubt everything, everything about God, everything about people. And sometimes the voices of evil make us believe that God does not exist. That it is impossible for God to act in the situation. There's another reason why he felt this way. He lost his sense of calling. You see, when our vision of God becomes blurred, we lose our sense of what our purpose in life is. The calling that God has put on our lives. Elijah feels his own nothingness before the powers that threaten his existence. It is expressed twice with identical verses in verse 10 and 14. Identical words. One before God's revelation and one after God's revelation. It seems like nothing has changed in Elijah's mind. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, he says. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Loneliness is not an uncommon feeling in the church of Jesus Christ. Even amongst friends, even amongst other believers, we can feel we're the only one left. What I eventually, what I did eventually, we sometimes feel came to nothing. All the efforts, all the faithfulness, all the service led to nothing. The church of my time, some people say, is disappointing. He hoped that this wonderful intervention of God on Car Carmel would finally change the hearts of people. But it didn't. We know that they have gone astray again. What does it help to live like a Christian while it makes no difference in my family? What does it help to teach my children about God while they go their own way? What does it help to stand up for what is just and true while the world is not interested in justice and truth and righteousness? What does it help? How often do we feel that we've given ourselves wholeheartedly to a specific task, but it came to nothing? So many times people give themselves wholeheartedly in their marriage, and it comes to nothing. They give them wholeheartedly 
do their jobs, and they lose their jobs. Sometimes we feel it came to nothing because there's no appreciation, no encouragement. I'm the only one left, he says. And now they are trying to kill me too. Loneliness. He's in a state of self-pity at this stage. You see, when we lose our vision on God, the danger is always to say, I've had enough. Then we lose our sense of purpose in life. And then slowly we withdraw or disappear because we feel it has no sense anymore. Someone writes that, Elijah is not tired of life. Elijah is tired of God. So what happens when we lose our vision and hope? Elijah runs to the desert to resign from his job. God looks to him looks at him, meets him in the desert, and sends him to the mountain of Horeb. That's the place where the covenant was made. That's the place where God revealed himself to Moses. When we are in desperate situations, that's the place where God reveals himself to us. Then a special revelation may be on the cards. Now listen to the answer to Elijah. The first, he says, your job is not finished. God asks Elijah twice in verse 9 and 13, what are you doing here? God sends him back to fulfill the purpose of his life. It was different, but he still had a purpose. God never says, listen, I accept your resignation here. I, you've done enough for me now. That's, that's okay. It's when we lost our vision that God comes and he says, I want to fill your life with my vision. Yes, sometimes it is necessary for us to flee to the desert to gain, to gain some perspective in our lives. In Elijah's case, it didn't help much because he remained the same. Because although God speaks to us there, sometimes in a special revelation through his word, Sometimes we, we don't change. But God sends him back to fulfill a task. Yes, we are broken people, but that does not exempt us from our responsibility to be God's people. Broken people are exactly the people that's used by God. And when we come to the end 
of our programs and plans. God has a program and plan for our lives. The second thing that God says to him is, let me give you a new vision, my vision. See, now in Elijah's ears, the only thing that he hears is the political power of Jezebel that looks much larger than God. And, and all you hear from Elijah is, I and me. Look at me. Look what I have done. And God wants to say to him, look at me, the I and the me of God. Listen to this vision of God. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. The Arameans were not good people to Israel. But you know what? You have a task. Go to these enemies of Israel. And verse 16. Also anoint Hew, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And by the way, you're not irreplaceable. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Maybe you say, what does this help us? What is this vision that God gives to Elijah, and how does it help us to understand? What God is saying here is, I am Lord. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. I'm Lord over the nations. I am in control of the history of the world. And why not be in control of your history? I'm the Lord and I continue to work in Israel amongst my people. And not the powers that rule are in control, but I am. And this is the same message that Jesus gave to his disciples when they were doubting and, and fearful at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go out. I've got a task for you. This is the message of the book of Revelation. Victory belongs to God. And all these things are saying just one thing. He is in control. He is sovereign. Our work is never in vain. Because we work for God. Paul writes about this, the greatest victory in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, 
Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He is in control. He has a task for us. Remember the lament of Elijah. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. And listen to the answer of the Lord. If you think that you have to struggle alone, I am also the, the Lord of the church. Verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. I will not allow the community of believers to be destroyed. And you, Elijah, will never be alone. Open the eyes for the community of faithful people around you. People who feel the same as you do. And people who believe the same as you. Serving the same God. They are there. When we think that the church is down and out, God surprises us with astonishing stories of how his church is growing and supporting one another through the toughest times. This is the message that Paul gives to the church in Ephesians. He prays for the church and he says in his prayer that he wants us to discover the amazing power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that he sits at the right hand of God. And then he says, he is not only the Lord of the world, he is also the Lord of the church. Nothing will overcome the grace in the lives of God's people. It's clear. The past, the present, the future is in my hands. The victory that he brings should motivate us to go on because he is in charge, not people. There's a huge blessing when we lose our human hope and dreams. To struggle with ourselves and with powers is absolutely necessary for us. Because when we see our weakness, we discover the strength of God. The power of God that leads us back to his revelation. Who he is and how much he loves us. I want to close with this with this story, two uh, women uh, drove a very lonely road, let's say in Namibia, 
where you have a lot of gravel roads and, and you see a car every hour. And they got a flat tire. Now, I, I, I would never say that women cannot change tires. But in any case, in this case, they were not able to do that. And they were, they, were, uh, they were wondering, they were looking, if cars are coming from the, from the front, n n nothing came. And there was no dust coming from the back either. So one of them said, if there were just an angel from heaven that would come and help us change this tire. And the next moment they heard this voice, I can help you. And there was a man working on the telephone up there. You see, that's, that's our problem. Uh, we, we are in trouble. And we look to the future and we see no hope. And we look to the past, we see no hope. We look to the present and we see no hope. But we don't look up and see the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings in charge of history and of our little history. God is with you today. He walks with you. It doesn't matter what happens. He walks with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in spite of our brokenness, you reveal yourself to us. Give us soft hearts and open hearts to hear your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.